Church in Evansville, Indiana. Be sure to subscribe for weekly updates and visit us at resurgencecommunity.com. Okay, so we've been talking about studying the Bible. Anybody remember what the first Sunday was? It's really going to test either whether you pay attention or if I'm any good at preaching. Go ahead. Observe, 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 observe. Anybody ever read any Sherlock Holmes stuff? That was his big thing. Observing, observing, observing. He observed everything and he could tell you like when you were going to have children based on what your laundry looked like out on the line. I mean, it was weird stuff. He would observe and he knew stuff. So what was the second one? Anybody know? How many have we had? <laughs> Three. Observe. Interpretation. Now that I see what it says, or in other words, what it says, uh, three questions asked, what does it say, what does it mean, how does it apply? You know, you got to ask yourself, now that I'm reading this, what in the world is it saying? Where is it set at? Who's Jesus talking to? Is it Jesus talking? you got to ask yourself questions about the subject that's actually going on in the Bible. Anybody remember the third one? Application. Application. Now that I know what it says and what it means, how does it apply to my life? I thought it would be really good for us to go through and dissect a lesson. Let's say that you want to learn about prayer. And so I picked something. Prayer. What does it look like when we pray? Do I pray biblically? When I sit down with the Lord and I'm like, hey, God, this. And I start spewing off some stuff. Where did we learn how to pray? Did anybody learn how to pray from somebody else? Anybody learn how to pray from the Bible? I mean, how did we, did we learn from hearing other people? Anybody ever seen anybody praying King James? It's awesome. Right? Because they have better command over that than they do the English language. It's crazy. Or the today's English language. You guys get what I mean. But anyway, well, here's some things I want to look at. First off, if I'm going to start with prayer, I've got to have a definition. What exactly is qualified as a prayer? So let's look at this, Nate, if we could bring up the handy dandy thing. Prayer. An address as a petition to God. An earnest request or wish, the act or practice of praying to God, to plead or to beg, that which is asked with urgency based on presumed need, request, plea, or prayer, to speak to or to make requests of God. If we had to sum this up, prayer is having a conversation with God, talking to Him. Now, one thing that probably needs to be thought about when we look at a definition like this is, well, how often do I talk to God? Do I talk to Him? Oh, I'm getting up in the morning and so I roll out of bed and roll onto my knees and I say my prayer and that's it for the day. I pray again at night before I go to bed and that's it. Maybe it's the three meal prayer. Maybe it's the only when I'm in trouble prayer. Uh, I don't know. What does it look like in our lives when we're going to have a conversation with God? When are we most apt to talk to the Lord? Now, we all know what the answer should be, right? What should the answer be? Always, all the time, continuously. Yes, me and Jesus, we, direct line. We have a direct line. Anybody ever heard the joke? Uh, anybody want to hear a joke? No, Wes is like, no, I'm not going to tell the joke. Forget it. No, Wes, shut me down. So, all right, let's move on. All right, I'm going to tell this joke. All right. No, I don't want to tell the joke. Never mind. It's a bad joke. Go ahead and move to the next thing. It's terrible. You guys are going to think less of me, and I don't have much lower to go, so I'm just going to, so I guess. 
One thing I wanted to do was I wanted to find a, find a quote by somebody that I respected as a Bible scholar concerning prayer, and especially the prayer that I wanted to look at. The prayer that we're going to focus in on is only one book of the New Testament, a couple of prayers that are lifted up there. This is from John Walvoord. Before John Walvoord died in 2002, he was considered the foremost authority on Bible prophecy outlining the end times. He wrote a book called uh, Armageddon, the end time, uh, Oil, Armageddon, and the End Times. And he wrote it in the 60s. And it sold a lot of copies and it went out of print. And then they had all the problems with oil during Jimmy Carter's administration in the late 70s. They reprinted his book because everything that he had listed out in his book was starting to come true. And it's not that he knew the future or anything. He was just reading his Bible and drawing conclusions from it. And he wrote a book about it. Well, and after all that scare went out, they... they put his book out of print again or whatever and now that all this stuff has started to come back up in 91 with Kuwait and all that stuff with oil they reprinted his book it went out for a little bit more and now because of everything that's going on with the with with the oil situation they have since reprinted it again and it's very interesting to see that just from him reading his Bible he was depicting about what would happen down the line brilliant man so he said here the frequent reference to the prayer life of the Apostle Paul and the burden of his petitions to the Lord, as contained in his epistles, are more than just an expression of Paul's own objectives. Frequently they state succinctly the very essence of the spiritual life and the goals that are properly before us as we grow in grace. Now stop. Don't get all like mental car wreck, okay, because this is a lot of stuff. Pay attention to what he says. Frequently, he's talking about Paul's prayers. They state succinctly the very essence of the spiritual life. That's the thing that we all need help with. And I thought, hey, I really need help with my spiritual life. Awesome. This resonates with me. And the goals that are properly before us, all of us as believers, as we grow in grace. In his Ephesian letter, he prays for wisdom and power and that they may be rooted and grounded in love. These are the things that we're going to look at. Okay? So if everybody would, take your copy of God's Word with me. Turn to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And we're going to start in chapter 1. The reason why I picked the book of Ephesians, number one, we've had a couple of lessons from it in the past month or so. Number two, it's just a really cool freaking book. So if you ever get a chance you want to study a book of the Bible, study Ephesians. It is awesome. It'll blow your mind about just how much God loves you and what all He's called us to. In Ephesians chapter 1, I want us to look at verse 15. In verse 15 it says, For this reason... Now stop. What does that tell us if we were studying the Bible that we need to know? Back up and read what's going on. Now here's the interesting thing. I didn't have it in, uh, I didn't have it in the uh, easy worship, so if you could just look in your Bibles with me. In the original Greek language, if you do some research you'll find this out. In the original Greek language, verses 3 through 14 is a continuous sentence. There are no punctuations whatsoever. It's like Paul was on speed and was just like so happy about, he was on grace speed, okay? And he was so happy about Jesus, he's just, just going crazy, okay? So, let's back up to verse 3 and let's just read through here. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places 
Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now, you talk about doing a Bible study, you will spend a lot of time on those 11 verses. But if you notice, it's always like God gives you this, and Christ gives you this, and through Jesus you get this, and oh my gosh, look out, here comes this, and duck, here comes this. And next thing you know, it's like we are just being smothered with love and grace and affection from God. So notice what Paul says, for this reason... Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Now notice, that's where it comes from. When you place your faith, when you place your trust in Jesus Christ alone, that's when verses 3 through 14 become a big reality. They become a spiritual reality for you. All of a sudden you have all these blessings that are ready at your disposal to use just for the simple fact that it gives God the jollies in order to do it. He loves it. He loves blessing you. So, for this reason, because he's heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks. What does this tell us about Paul's prayer life? It was continual. He does not cease. Every time he goes to pray, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, here's what Paul prays. The, the column that's on the right-hand side, everybody get your pens out. Because this is what we need to write down. What are the things that the Apostle Paul prays, and does it look anything like what I pray? I tell you, this was super convicting for me. It really was. Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, notice this, number one, a spirit of wisdom. Paul wants usins to be smart. He wants youins to know a lot. You guys get that? You guys follow me? He wants us to be, <laughs> I got it. Am I speaking your language? Yeah. He wants us to be brilliant in the Lord. He wants us to so know Christ so carefully, so deeply, walk with him so closely that there's no confusions in our mind, or there's no confusion in our mind about what is God's will. How many of us scurry around looking for God's will? What's God's will? I just knew God's will here. You guys are lying. I got you. Yeah, okay. What is God's will? What is God's will? Specific moments, yeah. Because there are times where we panic about it. I tell you, the more we know God's word, the more we can discern. His will in situations. The Word of God is the will of God. So notice, 
Paul wants us to have wisdom. He wants us to be smart about these things. Uh, that you may they give you a spirit of wisdom and number two, a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now notice a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Him. For instance, maybe you've read a Bible passage over and over and over and you're beating your head against the wall thinking, man, I don't know what that means. And I've read it like a million times. Pray about it. <clears throat> Chew on it like a cow would on some cud. Roll it around in your head. Write it out on a 3 by 5 card. Take it with you. Meditate on it. Memorize it. And I tell you, the Holy Spirit will start to reveal to you amazing things. Why? Because this is what Paul wanted for the church. This is what he wanted for them. He's praying to God about it. Is God really going to leave us hanging? I mean, you think if you come to God with a prayer, God, I just want you to reveal yourself. I want to know you so deeply. You think God's going to be like, tough? No. That's not him. That's not his character. He's not going to, you know, eat it and tell us to go away. That's not God. God is a God of love. So here's what we got. A spirit of wisdom, spirit of revelation and the knowledge of Him. Here's the next thing. Verse 18. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. That's very interesting. The eyes of your heart enlightened. Uh, I wrote this down. I was, I was looking through a commentary. I thought this was really interesting. The heart is the seat of thoughts, moral judgments, and our feelings. He wants our hearts to be enlightened. He wants us to see things in a different light. Maybe if our hearts are somehow shadowed in, in darkness, He wants to open us up so that we're seeing Christ in a different way. Notice the next one here. That you may know, always circle that word, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. Notice that. That you would know the hope that you're called to. 1 Peter 3.15 Sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to those who ask about the hope that is in you. What's the hope that we have? I just got saved because my friend got saved. We all walked up to the altar together and said praise Jesus and we're okay. Is that what happened? What is the hope that we're saved for? What is the hope? What is the hope? Our future is safe. Our future is safe. Okay? Well, what does it look like? We're going to be resurrected. Okay. Eternal life with God. What's that? Eternal life with God. Eternal life with God. What else? Is anybody here excited about going to heaven? Yeah. Oh, we'll raise our hands on that one. Yeah. What does it look like? What is he calling us to? It's white. You racist. <laughs> it's not white. <laughs> Silly. Silly cracker. Okay. <laughs> I can call him cracker. It's okay. I'm, hey, I'm white. I can call white people crackers, okay? Rule works both ways. I don't want to hear it. What does it look like? A life without sin. Stop for just a second. Can you imagine going a whole day and you don't sin and nobody sins against you? <laughs> Nate's like using his sleeve. Whoa. My microphone came on. But think about that. No sin. No wrong. Nothing's tainted. Nothing's broken. Nothing falls apart. Nothing goes sour. All the fruit in your refrigerator stays good all the time. <laughs> right? 
<laughs> Leftovers, you don't have to like put them on four minutes anymore. They're always fresh. <laughs> All right. What? Chevys don't rust. Chevys don't rust. <laughs> Whatever we need to do to relate to the idea of what does the hope look like. The hope looks like absolute perfection, but here's the great part. The perfection isn't found in the place of heaven. It's not found in the angels and what they sing. It's not found in, you know, St. Peter standing up there with a record. Can you watch it? I'll let you. None of that stuff. The idea is that, man, when this life is over, I'm going to stand in the presence of Jesus Christ. I will see him face to face. I won't have a reason to fear anymore. I won't have a reason to get nervous, to get upset. I love what it says in Revelation where he will wipe every tear from their eye. Man, there's no hurt, there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no lust, there's no robbery, there's no murder. It's all taken care of. That's the hope that we've been called to. And what is Paul saying that he prays about? That we would begin to understand even what that looks like. If we have trouble coming up with the words of what the hope might look like, then hey man, this probably needs to be moved over to our list about things we need to be praying about. So he says here that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are, here's another one, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. If you are a believer in Christ, if you are, if, if, if you are someone who's placed your trust in Christ, you are a son or daughter of God. You have brought into an, you've been brought into an adoptive relationship, and he loves you like he loves Christ. He loves you like he loves his own. And that's the thing is, when he hands all things over to Christ, when we come up there and we're into heaven, he is going to hand all to us. We are able to inherit these things not because anything we did not because we led a faithful life maybe we came to Christ and we left, lived a crappy life I would hope not but we still have some inheritance with the father he still loves us tremendously so that we would know that notice the next one verse 19 and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe that you would know what the power of God's like if you look at the Greek in this I wrote this down immeasurable greatness what he uses for that it's like that you would understand this but it's in another sphere of operation does that make sense it's like if all we are thinking of is in this realm here that we would understand his immeasurable greatness he's talking about and man it's like something very far removed than you could ever comprehend or know the Greek means that it is in another sphere of reality his immeasurable greatness or his, his immeasurable yeah greatness of his power towards us who believe notice the requirement believe believe that's it believe just because you believe all these things are things that Paul is praying on behalf of people in the church. He says here, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. Now, Paul goes on a little doxology here. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above 
all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Doxology, expressing praise to God. Maybe that needs to be part of the prayer. Notice that's in Paul's prayer. So here's some things that we need to do. Let's go back and let's scan through. Here's some things that I just wrote down that I observed. Here's, what, here's how Paul prays. Number one, he gives thanks. Notice verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in all my prayers. Number one, Paul gives thanks. Here's the next one. That we would have a spirit of wisdom. That we would have a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened that we would know the hope that we were called to, that we would know the riches available to them, uh, available to us in the inheritance, and that the immeasurable greatness of His power towards people who believe. And how does He finish it all up? He gives praise to God for who He is. Those are things that Paul just mentioned in those short verses, that little short paragraph. That's how Paul prays. Those are the things that are on the foremost of his mind and his heart when he's going to talk with God and he makes intercession to pray on behalf of this church. Now, look over at Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start here in verse 14. For this reason, there it is again, for this reason, what does it mean? Everybody wake up. What does it mean? Back up. Huh? Yeah, but they're the same people. <laughs> they're the awake people. I want different people. One of these Sundays, I'm going to come in and make all of you move because everybody sits in the same place. That's really going to mess you guys up. You probably ought to pay attention. I'll probably leave that alone. But <clears throat> for this reason, let's go back and see what in the world is he talking about. And look, at, look at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he stops, and he goes off on this little tangent rant. So actually his, for this reason, has to do with the end of chapter 2. The end of chapter 2, look at chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, just to sum this up for you so we don't get too far off base, what Paul is summing up here is, you know what? Israel has been given all of these blessings. They have covenants. They have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They have the promises of God. God dwelt with them in the temple. God led them through the wilderness. They've had all this privilege with God. The Gentiles did not have these privileges. But thanks be to God because through the death of Christ He has brought us Gentiles near. Unless you are Jewish by descent, you're a Gentile. So it's all because of Christ that we have been able to have an opportunity to be part of this body of Christ, this new thing that he's doing. It's all an act of grace to bring us into relationship with him because Gentiles didn't have all those things. We were alienated from God. We had no hope. So for this reason, if we skip forward to chapter 3, verse 13, 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. What do we see? Huh? What? Humility, submission. Humility, submission, 
Do we bow on our knees when we pray? Do we do that? Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. A lot of times we don't. Maybe a lot of times we don't and we're thinking, huh, maybe I need to. The second, the second prayer we're looking at, notice how Paul starts it off. If anything, I, I come into a posture of submission and humility before the Lord when I pray about these things. Verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. In other words, attributing glory to God. Saying here, verse 16, that according to the riches of His glory, according to the riches of His glory. Paul uses that a lot. Anybody know what that means? If we read through anything by Paul, we probably read it a lot, but does anybody ever really sit down and thought, according to the riches of His glory? Well, according to, immediately that makes me think it, that's like a, um, what, what would I want to say, a standard, a definition um, I'm trying to say something that calibrates how we should look at this. Quantify. Quantify. Big words. Can't even spell that. Praise God. What? The status quo. The status quo as far as God is concerned. Maybe we want to look at it that way. We can't imagine that because it's way, way greater than what we can think. But think here. According to the riches of His glory. Can you measure that? I'm just curious. Is that like a cup's worth? Is that like a shovel worth? A dump truck worth? How do you measure something like that? You can't. Breck. Yeah, you can't, but I was just thinking if you read the Bible, if you read the Old Testament and thought about what he says through the prophets and stuff, that would be an understanding of what it would be like. Okay. Maybe, maybe if, we, if we think about what is the riches of his, of his glory, maybe we might think about Ezekiel 1, where... where God just rolls in in front of Ezekiel and Ezekiel's like, man, this is freaking cool. And he writes down everything that he sees. Read Ezekiel 1 sometime. A demonstration of the glory of God. According to the riches of His glory. Can we measure it? No. We can't. What does this mean? It means it's exceedingly beyond anything that you could possibly think as far as God is concerned. So notice this. According to the riches of His glory, which I can't put any words on except immeasurable, abundant, something like that. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So what do we have here? That God would give us power through the Spirit in our inner beings. That your inner beings would be strengthened. Anybody know what that is, inner being? What does He mean? Anybody familiar with Romans 7? What I want to do, I don't find myself doing, but the things I don't want to do, I find my flesh participating in those things. That whole thing. Struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Notice that we would be strengthened in the inner being, in our spirits. In our spirits who desire so deeply to serve God, but we find our flesh doing all kinds of things that are absolutely sinful and contrary to Him and against Him. Notice that He's asking for that part to be strengthened so that we would be able to be obedient. Verse 17. <clears throat> so that, here's the reason why, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that regardless of any situation that's coming about, we have Christ as our center, honing us up, if you want to say fitting us for every situation, that He would dwell in us, notice this, in our hearts through faith. That's the condition. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Now let's stop. Because Paul knew the Ephesian church. And it's believed that this was a circular letter, that it was a general letter that went out to a bunch of different churches. But think about this. You being rooted and grounded in love. How did that happen? How did that happen? 
Are you rooted and grounded in love or are you just a big jerk? I know some of you. Some of you are jerks. It's all right. A lot of you think I'm a jerk. That's okay. You're like, I didn't think you were a jerk until you just said that. Now you're a jerk. Just kidding. I'm just trying to get all you guys' attention. Please wake up. This is important stuff. Somebody answer my question. You're sitting. You're sitting right in front of me. I was writing down in the I'm doing some studying. How did we get rooted and grounded in love? By faith, yes. But but what had to happen in order for us? Did did you do that? Did you do that? Did were you just like, well now I'm a believer, rooted, grounded, love. Is that what happened? No. Go ahead. He knows the churches of the Ephesians is rooted and grounded in love because he started the church and he taught them the proper way to go to begin There you go. Because Paul came along, he planted that church. And it was his teaching. He was with them for a long time. And with his teaching, he grew them up. Whenever he preached, they paid attention. And whatever he asked them to do for homework... They did it. And you're all getting very sleepy. Just kidding. I won't say that. Everybody go to sleep. But the reason was is because he had spent so much time pouring his heart into them, trying to teach them the truths of Scripture, that he knew them inside and out. You guys are rooted and grounded in love. If you guys are stable anywhere, it's love for one another. If I know all languages and don't have love, what is it like? Clanging symbol. Clanging symbol. Like somebody beating the snot out of a drum set. It doesn't have any music to it. Notice that he is most concerned about them being rooted and grounded because you're rooted and grounded in love. That's what gives you the ability to do these things. Notice verse 18. You may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. Now, now this almost seems contradictory. To know the love of Christ that surpasses what? Knowledge. knowledge. Think about this. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Does anybody else see that there might be like a contradiction there? Is there a contradiction there? No, there's not a contradiction. What's, what's he saying? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What does that mean? experience it. To experience it? Maybe he's going from a to know the love here, I know I need to love people. And it gets here. It's no longer us just talking about how we should love people, but actually loving people. Doing. Being in the mix. Doing. Not being hearers only, but being doers also. So here's some things that we've got so far from this prayer. He acknowledges God in a supreme terminology, right? I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every, fa every family in heaven and on earth is named. Number two, that God would give you power through the Spirit in your inner being. Number three, that God would dwell in our hearts through faith. Number four, we're rooted and grounded in love. Number five, that we would be sorry, that we would have the strength to comprehend the great and glorious love of Christ. See, they're already rooted and grounded in love, but to understand the love that Christ has for them, completely different sphere. Talk about looking at it in a completely different way. And here's the last one uh, that I wrote down. <clears throat> to be filled with the fullness 
of God by understanding the love of Christ. Uh, filled with the fullness. This is what is known as an epinosis. Uh, to have extreme measure. To be capped off. Ever, you ever fill up a, a glass or something and it overflows? Put it in the, in the sink or fill it up or whatever. It'll overflow over the sides. That's kind of the idea that Paul is getting at here. And so here's how he wraps it up with a doxology. Notice another doxology. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. That's the Holy Spirit. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So, a second prayer by Paul. Now, here's another interesting thing about the book of Ephesians. Is in chapter 6, if you turn over with me to chapter 6, Paul is going through listing off the items of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is a very real, how do I say this, a very real reality. I don't know how else to say it. It's real. You ever wonder why all of a sudden you get angry, you might feel like you're getting attacked by things. You walk into a room and you feel like something else is in there. Chances are because it is. That stuff really exists. I'm not trying to get all charismatic flip out on everybody. Demons and stuff, that stuff exists. It, it very much exists. That's the whole reason why we're here doing church. So that when we walk out of here onto the battlefield, our minds and our hearts are prepared in order to combat some of these things. So, in looking at chapter 6, Paul's going through all of these things. And pick up with me in verse 18. Notice what he says. Praying at all times in the Spirit. One of the most powerful things that you can do if you want to learn how to pray in the Spirit is pray the Word of God. Turn to Psalm and pray it. That kind of thing. Psalm 1 is a really good one to pray. Uh, notice what he says here. With all power, or sorry, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So in other words, praying for other believers. And notice this one right here. And also for me. Now this is Paul. Think about this. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, has anybody ever sat down and thought, well, of all the people who had problems sharing Jesus in the Bible, Paul was definitely one of them. Anybody ever think of that? No, we always see, like, we're reading through Acts and like Paul's getting the crap beat out of him because he won't shut up about the gospel, right? Having to sneak him out of the city and that kind of stuff. Anybody ever sit down and really thought, whoa, Paul needed people to pray for him so that he would just tell the truth to people? Let me ask you this, now that you know that, can you relate? Can you maybe sit there and think, I'm not always speaking the truth boldly like I need to, and if Paul needed prayer... I probably do too. Probably a lot of opportunities to talk to people about the gospel where my boldness is just out the window. Just can't find it. And I ne in all my time, I never would have thought that Paul would be one of those people that we'd have to chalk up on that end. But notice that he is. And notice that he's very honest about it. How many people in here have prayer partners? Six. Six of us. Six of us have prayer partners. Look around. Anybody see a prayer partner? Go ahead, look around. You can pray with people. Husbands and wives, pray together. You guys are looking at each other like the, 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 the plague has come on you. Come on. This is prayer. I'm not like I'm asking you guys to go out and start some carnival act or something. <laughs> Talking about praying. Now, 
When we look at these lists, what do you see the distinction? How drastic is it? Take your list out. Have you been writing down some of the things that we've observed? How drastic is it? Do you, real quick, do you see Aunt Edna's bad hip on Paul's <laughs> list anywhere? Do we see that? No, we really don't. We don't see that, you know, good old Russell in the fifth grade get an A on his biology test. You know, we don't see that. I was just going to say, it looks like, I mean, it's just, he's really good at praying for things that encompass things. So you, I mean, that would fall all encompassing. All encompassing, you know, just like umbrella. And, and it <coughs> might fall under, but you might need, like, you know, the spirit of wisdom and, you know, knowledge and eyes on him and being enlightened to deal with Aunt Edna's. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Now, how many times have we thrown out prayers to people? And we, oh, I got this test coming up. Would you please pray for me? Have we ever done that? Have we ever have we ever thrown any of that stuff out to people? Well, have we ever asked for petty things? Man, I totally stole a pack of gum from the store, and they might call the cops. Please pray I don't get in trouble. You know. Here's the thing, man. Study for the test and keep your hands off the gum, right? That's just like common sense stuff. And that stuff, that's, that's the stuff that is at the forefront of our hearts that we're like, please lift this up to God, to somebody else. Do you notice that that's not the stuff that Paul's lifting up? The stuff that Paul is lifting up is that Christians would grow. That if they would know anything, they would know love. That they would come to a deep and otherworldly understanding of the greatness of Christ and the fullness of God. If he wants anything, he wants us walking in righteousness. And he understands that that can't be accomplished by any other way than a supernatural means. That's why he does something like gets on his knees and he calls out to God and he asks for it. I would hate to think that we would sit here and be like, well, man, I'm real frustrated because I just don't feel like I'm growing sometimes. And, and I hope that it's a sharp reality that strikes us like lightning in the head when we see it's probably because what I pray for is weeny, weeny, weeny compared to what Paul prays for, which is hefty, hefty, hefty. <laughs> you guys get the contrast there? It's like I'm not really asking anything of God. I'm just kind of wasting God's time. And see, that's the danger that we would get in is we come to God and, oh, well, God, I'm in trouble and now I need to pray. Oh, well, God, I'm not for sure how this is going to work out and now I need to pray. Oh, well, God, I'm eating the same time I always do and I'm going to say the same prayer for the meal that I always do. You know, God, give me the knowledge to know the difference from right and wrong and serenity and whatever that prayer is, man. <laughs> You know, maybe it's the prayer of Jabez everybody took up, that your territory be increased. That was for that dude. Pray your own prayer. You know, understand that there's no formality. But what we see in Paul's is, thank you, God. And I want to pray for other people like this, that they would know you, that they would grow in the love that you would have for them, that they would have a deep-seated knowledge of you. And God, I just want to spend the, the closing moments of my prayer saying that you're cool, you're amazing, you're awesome, you blow my mind, I'm so thankful that you saved me, you are the great God and creator of all things, and that is my doxology, amen.
Yes, Alex. I'm not going to say it doesn't hurt. But what I'm saying is, is are our prayers zeroed in on that? And if so, isn't that a stark contrast from what Paul is zeroed in on? Now understand this. We only took one book of the New Testament and looked at the qualities of prayers. Everybody get your pen out. Everybody get your pen out. And understand this. I can't make you study your Bible. But here's something really good to look at. John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is a full chapter recording a prayer from Christ. And it'd be, it would just be really interesting to go through there and say, okay, this paragraph here, what is he saying? And what does he mean? And does this apply to me? Because I'll be honest with you, some of the stuff in that prayer doesn't apply to you. But there is some great stuff that does apply to you. And what he prays on behalf of people that will follow him is amazing. It's amazing to think that Jesus would take the time. And some people think it was right before his death. Some people don't know. But it's just that he would take the time out of his earthly ministry to pray for us 2,000 years down the line. The great things that we would have. Study John 17. How does Christ pray? Maybe, maybe in, in that case, maybe from that you want to look at the, you know, what everybody calls the Lord's Prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. The disciples' prayer when they say, you know, teach us how to pray. You know, we all know our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. What in the world does all that mean? Go through. What does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply to me? And that's a really good structure for prayer. There's thanksgiving to God for daily provision. There's glorifying Him in there. There's, there's asking for a heart of forgiveness of people that have sinned against us. All kinds of great stuff. Here's the thing. I would hate to think that a lot of times we spend our lives walking in the direction of where we think we need to go. And Jesus walks behind us waiting for us to turn around. I, I, I can't get that picture out of my mind sometimes. Because all that He's really waiting for in our lives is for us to stop doing what we're doing. And turn and talk with Him about it. So that he can point us in a direction that we need to be walking. So here's what we're going to do. If you have a prayer partner, this would be easy. We don't have any songs to finish this out, so this could be super awkward how we're going to end all this. All right, so just get ready for it. I'm not going to say I'm couth or smooth or sly or any of that stuff. We're just going to train wreck it out. All right. <laughs> so <clears throat> take a moment, find somebody to pray with. Maybe you just really need to pray by yourself. And as you go to pray, and it's okay to open your eyes while you're praying, okay? But take this list, and does anything that Paul lifts up to the Lord resonate with you? Do you want to know the love of Jesus deeply? Do you? Maybe you're just sitting here going, man, he, he, he just totally assumed about these people. They're rooted and grounded in love. I'm not. Maybe that's where the prayer needs to start. Maybe the prayer just needs to be for everybody that you come to church and you see every Sunday that they would be growing in their walks. Because if you notice one thing, Paul's prayers were rarely about this. They were always about others and God. Others and God. That's what it was always about for him. So, what time is it? 5.22? Let's take until 5.30. Let's take some time to pray. Maybe the whole part about bowing your knee strikes you 
Hey, especially if you sit in the back row, there's a lot of room back here. Maybe you need some room. Go back there, the back row. Turn around, bow a knee, and get along with the Lord. And let's just spend, and this shouldn't be awkward for us because we're believers, let's just spend seven, eight minutes talking to God. And then I will close this in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Budget meeting afterwards for our college team. Please hang out after that. Let's pray.